This episode of Talking Indonesia was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people. Merdeka! 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 The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. In late February, Jokowi Dodo's official social media feed showed him conducting the affairs of state from a small hut set amongst the trees on the site of the future presidential palace in the nation's yet-to-be-built new capital named Nusantara. Since announcing that the capital will move from Jakarta to East Kalimantan in 2019, this has become a pet project for the second-term president, which many interpret to be his final legacy before he steps away from the top job in 2024. The idea to move the nation's capital away from Jakarta is almost as old as the nation itself. The megacity of Greater Jakarta, now home to over 30 million people, is overcrowded, choked by traffic and famously sinking. However, less than two years away from the first project milestone to deliver accommodation and services in the jungle capital, many questions remain, not least about the highly ambitious design itself and the viability of its implementation, but also about who will pay for the projected cost of more than 32 billion US dollars. And with Indonesians already looking towards the 2024 presidential election, there are added concerns that the project may not survive past Jokowi's leadership. If it is successful, the new capital stands to be a showcase of sustainable design and Indonesian progress. The question is, can these high design standards and ambitions be reached? And what are the risks if it fails? To answer these questions and more, my guest today is Eka Permanasari from Monash Art, Design and Architecture at Monash University. Hello, Eka. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Hi, Gemma. Nice to meet you again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Well, Eka, because of your expertise, I really want to begin by asking if you can tell us a little bit about Jakarta, so the current capital, before we move on to talk about the new one. So tell us about the conditions in Jakarta at the moment and maybe a little bit about its history and how that history is impacting on the lives of those who are living in the city now. Mm, sure. Um, speaking about the capital city, of course, we cannot um, overlook Jakarta. And of course, Jakarta has a very strong layers of history. Jakarta has been a major, for, uh, major city for centuries, even before the post-colonial nation uh, emerged, yeah? So from the colonial period, Jakarta has a number of issues. Jakarta metropolitan area is a home for approximately 35 million people, yeah? Jakarta, Bogor, Depok, Tangerang, Bekasi. 
And Jakarta is now the world's second largest urban area after Tokyo. In addition to being the capital of Indonesia, current capital, it is also a diplomatic capital of the ASEAN. Now, Jakarta's problem is mainly with the water. Like many coastal cities, it deals with the threat of rising sea levels due to the climate change. And also, uh, in addition to the sea level, it also has a problem with the land subsidence. So that's the first problem Jakarta is facing. The second one is the excessive groundwater extraction. And this is causing these uh, land subsidence. And land subsidence in Jakarta is very, very dangerous at the moment. Perhaps uh, in, on average, is sinking about one centimeter per year. And it, you know, in some areas, it can go up to 15 centimeter sinkage a year. The third problem that the current city is facing is about the rising sea levels and the flood. And because of this, 40% of Jakarta area is actually below the sea level. So you can imagine uh, we have the rainy season, we also have the rising sea levels, and we have the sedimentation problems. So Jakarta is like a delta where it is attacked by the water from the southern part and also from the sea and also the population, the traffic, and all that. So this is what happened in Jakarta. There are so many attempts to rescue the city. We plan to do the giant seawall. We try to kind of like connect between the LRT, uh, MRT, all this transportation system in order to reduce the traffic and all that. But it seems that the government came into a conclusion that in 2019, they decided to move the capital city to Borneo. We often hear that term of Jakarta is sinking. And yeah, as you've described mm-hmm. it, it's quite frightening to hear 15 centimetres a year and that 40% is below sea level. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's currently flooding in Jakarta as is seasonal. People yeah. just get on with their lives and, and live with it. So in 2019, as you say, government make a decision, it's a big one, that instead of pursuing these other is it instead of Eckhart pursuing these other projects like the giant seawall, et cetera, they will move the capital? Yeah, actually, it, it has been a very long debate. And pursuing other attempts in order to rescue Jakarta is also political. When we had these giant seawall projects, when I was also part of that team, there was a lot of criticism as well because then it will close off the Jakarta Bay. And most of the solution is also an engineering solution. And in fact, when the Dutch team came and they created this huge giant Garuda, as you can see from the images, if you type giant Garuda seawall, for instance, yeah, you can see that. And that is even more reclamation land. And so, well, we can say that it was very difficult in order to make that happen because that requires even more money. So maybe the easiest way is to kind of find a new place where we can build right in quotation mark, from scratch, yeah, rather than fixing what has been happening in the capital city. We can't say it's right or wrong. I mean, it's a choice. And of course, Indonesia is a sovereign nation. Um, it has a right to, to choose yeah, where the capital is. But the, the concern here is, regardless whether we would like to have a new capital or not, or maybe staying in Jakarta, the problem in Jakarta should be addressed. Because this is very important for the Jakarta people and also for the Indonesian people because regardless Jakarta no longer as a capital city, but it still carries that layers of symbolism. It still works as an economic center, yeah? as a business center, and it has layers of history and cultural richness, which we should keep. And if it is sinking, 
so uh, it will disappear right so like it or not we have to fix this so that's that's my uh, main concern yeah so it shouldn't be an either or it should be both mm-hmm. and as you say those millions of people not all of them are going to be moving to Nusantara uh, to the new capital when it is built so be- before we talk about who will be living in it Tell us a little bit about the processes for planning the city. You you mentioned the announcement in 2019, but this was the culmination of a long period of talking about potentially moving Mm. capital. Yes, uh, Gemma, the plan of moving capital was not a new idea, actually. So it's not only in the 2019, as we know, since the 1950s even under Sukarno, yeah, the first president of Indonesia, Indonesian government has planned to relocate the capital city to Palankaraya, for instance, as the leading candidate city. The second president, Suharto, for instance, he issued a presidential decree, number one, 1997, regarding the regional development coordination and designated Jonggol as the independent city. And that was originally intended to be the center of the government. And under Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, the fifth president, he proposed locating capital as an alternative to sinking Jakarta at that time. However, those things were not materialized. Yeah, a lot of political tension. Yeah, that didn't happen. So only in 2019, when Jokowi decided that we have to move the capital. So the idea was not new, but it was executed under Jokowi. And the process, he started with the competition regarding the capital city. There were three winners, yeah? But the first one is the Urban Plus with the theme of Anagara Rimbanusa, uh, which is now being developed. Now, um, we may know that most of these uh, capital city planning, they are mostly top-down approach, yeah? Pretty much the idea from the government, the architect or the urban designer came in and they came up with the idea. But perhaps something, there is a room for us that we need to improve from this process, from this current city planning. While it is mostly heavily top-down, then perhaps this is the time when we would like to implement it. Uh, We need to consult the locals, yeah, include the community, which when I went there this January, there was some progress on that. Um, there was some uh, movement to include community participation in design, movement to uh, make database of what kind of animals and plantation that needs to be conserved, for instance, in the area, uh, which is good. But I think we need to go deeper more than that, yeah, to explain it to the community uh, how this design, like it or not, will impact in the future. That's good to hear. But I guess, you know, what I'm wondering is, and it sounds like maybe it's not quite there yet, that there's more of a systematic process for reaching out and gathering community in and their opinions. But maybe it's important now that we tell everyone a little bit about where it's going to be built and this design that was selected out of the competition. Yeah, Um, the location is in Kalimantan, in Penajam Pasar Utara. If you look at the design, we all know that the IKN will have some phases of development as well. The design itself, they try to be sustainable because basically they follow a smart, sustainable city for the future. In terms of the planning, it is really good. They have uh, eight uh, principles, which they translate these eight principles into KPI 
for instance, 75% should be green and it should use a circular economy, for instance. Yeah. All these things, um, they kind of follow the guidebook. Yeah. That, that's, that's very good principles. But of course, there are some worries as well. As we know, we may be very good in terms of the planning, in terms of the KPIs and all that. But in terms of the implementation, you know, that's that's a big question. Yeah, That's a big challenge that we should make sure that whatever that we build, it should align to the regulation and to the KPIs that they already set. Yeah. And the sustainable smart city, that's something that Jokowi was particularly keen on. Was it not like a future city? Yes, it is. The future cities should be smart, sustainable, and also designed using the natural condition, for instance. It should be connected like a 10-minute city. Everything is connected and you can reach everything within 10 minutes. And 80% of travel is by public transport or active mobility, for instance, and net zero emission by 2045. So those things has been set out as the KPI. So you can imagine it's very good and very ambitious at the same time. And Eka, how many people are projected to live in Nusantara? There are some phases, yeah. So according to this presidential decree number 63, 2022, uh, I'll quote, this is the plan from the government. By 2024, it starts with 488,000. That's mostly civil servants, yeah, from ministries, agencies, um, police, army, defense and security, and, and their family members, yeah. That's by 2024. By 2029, it is expected to be triple, yeah, 1.2 million. By 2034, it's 1.5, and 2045, it's 1.9 million people. So they are trying to make sure that this IKN, or the capital city, the urban density is around 100 people per hectare. That's what they aim. Who's moving and whether we can achieve these numbers or not, we can also learn from other capital cities, for instance. Yeah, Perhaps they haven't reached that kind of numbers. And I think when this capital movement was announced, there was some hesitant from the civil servants. Uh, there are some hesitant whether we can reach that numbers. So there might be some challenges in terms of fulfilling this quota. Yeah, but I guess on the flip side, there's also been discussion about overpopulation, which down the track is a question, and about the stress exactly. that would bring on the environment. Yeah, yeah. 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 So as you mentioned, Gemma, one thing is, can we really fill in that quota? Second, what if the surrounding community or our population start migrating and maybe even offer quota? So that is something that we need to think about. So that's why my concern or my, my, my suggestion in here is when we are building a new capital, it's not only solely for the capital, but we also have to build the surrounding. So we are not repeating the story of Jakarta, where the city is being concentrated. It's, it's you know, all the wealth and prosperity is there in, uh, at the center, but then you don't have the same kind of, that kind of facility around the edge and everyone start coming to the center. So this should not happen in the new capital city. So we should think about how to build the surrounding cities, the neighboring cities and the communities 
So the capital city should not be overpopulated. And at the same time, if the progress of this development does not achieve, then it's also a danger, yeah, a challenge. We don't want this to be empty as well at the same time. So it's not going to be livable. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. There are examples, aren't there, of cities being built, capital cities being built that are relatively empty places. Exactly. Brasilia is one of them. And I mean, Napido. Yeah. Correct. Canberra, maybe this is a success. Canberra, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those cities, they were taken as examples. So we'll, uh, Indonesian government, look at those cities as well. Yeah. uh, Before they start building the capital city. So, we should understand that there are some good things, but there are also some things that we need to be aware and we shouldn't repeat. Yeah, yeah indeed. Canberra was called the bush capital. And this mm-hmm. capital is kind of like a jungle capital, you know, embracing the environment that it's in. But that presents a challenge, doesn't it? You know, I was going to ask yeah. you, there are many, but but one of them particularly is the environmental concerns. So how are they being mitigated by this design? Well, the design itself has not been implemented yet, so we don't know what will be there exactly. But I'm reading this as the urban designer or urban planner. I'm looking at the policy and I'm looking at the design. So policy-wise, the idea of sustainability and try to keep the nature as it is, is very high. Uh, As I mentioned, 75% should be green, net zero emission, for instance, and so on. Design-wise... I've also seen the design, for instance, in terms of the housings, apartments, yeah. They are high-rise. It's no longer like an urban sprawl. Um, They're on stilt. They work with nature. If you go there, Gemma, it's very undulating. It's like up and down, up and down. It's very challenging, even for an urban designer. But what I can see from the design, at least, uh, it works with the nature. So in that uh, sense, that is a hope that from the design perspective, that can be following a kind of like a green building, yeah? And I think that's what they are aiming for. But again, we don't know, you know, you have a design, but then how this is going to be implemented and is it going to be like that, like the design, like, you know, beautifully described or it's going to be something else, yeah? We never know because it's not being built yet. I cannot comment on a built area. Mm. So far, have they appointed the developers? What I know at the moment, they are focusing on building the core area. They also work with the Green Building Council Indonesia, for instance, and we try to make sure that the buildings and all that follows the Green Building Regulation. That's at least something that we hope for. Yeah, I don't have the details which contractors or developers that they are using, but at least the from the discussion that uh, I know, they are making sure that the buildings follows the green buildings regulation. And so, from the you know images that I've seen of it, it it looks like you know there will be a lot of green space. Mm. But Gemma, maybe in our mind when we discuss about Borneo, we always think it's. Um, uh, natural jungle, yeah, like deep forests, yeah. But within this area, it's actually not rainforest. It has been replanted as well. And in some areas, in fact, you've seen some 
kelapa sawit ya di palm oil plantation too. For this area, the ground zero location, for instance, those trees were planted before. So it's a production forest. Yeah, it's not like rainforest that maybe yeah. we always think. But even so, you you have the point. So maybe it will be replanted and as well, like like uh, you know, in some areas because once the construction happened. They pretty much had to clear the land and all that. Which now they already built the infrastructure, the toll to go to Penajam Pasir Utara, for instance. Yeah, so from Balikpapan, Samarinda as well. So they already built the toll road. Now they are building the infrastructures within the uh, the capital city area and building the the main core, the presidential palace, etc. Progress sounds pretty good. I mean, from sitting out here and looking at reports, I, I only read today that there are plans to develop the apartments that you mentioned, those 400,000 or so people will be living in by end of next year. <laughs> so, I know. Um, yeah, it's quite yeah. extraordinary really to imagine it, how quickly it's coming along. But I did mention to you before we started recording that even Jokowi's accommodation has progressed <laughs> on the site. He's graduated from his glamping tent to a little hut in amongst the trees, in the approximate area that the presidential palace will be. So by all accounts, it's going ahead very positively. And I guess in a way, Eka, this is interesting because for a few years now, many Indonesians have been very sceptical about the project and whether or not it would ever go ahead. And I guess one of the major questions that is asked, and maybe you don't have the answers, but but it is around funding for this. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not cheap, right? A, to build a new city, but B, to build it smart and sustainable. Exactly. I mean, this is, I think, the biggest challenge. Of course, I don't know the detail because this should be uh, the government yeah, who should answer this. But what I know is, look, based on the policy, the funding should be from the state and from the private sectors, yeah, through public-private partnership. So it is legal that investor can eat. But last time, I think the biggest investor pulled out. So the government tried to find a new investor. And I think this is challenging because building the capital, as you mentioned, is, is not cheap. It's 35 billion US dollars in total. Where can the money from, right? So I think the government is working hard. From what I know, at least for now, they are using the state budget for building the core area. But this is... Uh, not for long because they need more money in order to build the whole capital. And we need investors for sure. And I think they are still working hard in order to convince the uh, investor. And that was happened during the G20, for instance. Jokowi was pretty much <laughs> hard selling yeah, <laughs> in making sure that we get more investors. And I think G20 was very good, uh, even in showcasing Indonesia, as you can see from the report. I mean, like displaying the culture, displaying that Indonesia is a place for investment and all. And I think that that works. But yeah, this is a big challenge because otherwise the state cannot fund all of this project. It's too expensive. And of course, having the smart, sustainable city requires huge maintenance. So you cannot just build, you know, and that's it. But you also have to maintain it in order to make sure that this is going to be sustainable. And sustainable is not a physical thing, but also the ways in which people use and, 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 and kind of like behave in everyday life. You know, you cannot just have a green building, but then people just put the IC on for 16 degrees. 
there's an education that needs to go exactly right exactly and we have to change the way we live as well and that's not physical thing that needs a long term of adjustment for us to live differently live sustainably on that point echo more broadly in Indonesia, is this kind of awareness about the changing climate and the need to shift how we behave and adapt, is that sinking in? Is that something that's catching on? Uh, Well, I think it's a mix. Some people really don't see this as a problem, but there are some organizations or movements that really going towards this, yeah, especially with the marine debris, the waste and all that. And there are some movement also from the government, you know, to reduce the use of single-use plastic bag, for instance. There are some sporadic movements like that. And even from the community itself, they also have kind of like urban farming, composting, and etc. So it's a kind of like different ways of living. But to be honest, uh, in a tropical country, especially like very humid I think the use of air conditioning, uh, air conditioner is, is a massive, and this is a big challenge. Actually, we have trees, yeah. I mean, if we plant more trees, then the, the temperature will go down. But as the city is becoming more urbanized, less trees, and it's becoming even hotter. So I think it should be both physical and also behavioral. If these two can come along and then be practiced in our new capital, that would be good. I think. We should follow that direction. We shouldn't repeat the mistake that happens before. Potentially then, the new capital can be this like incredible showcase city to demonstrate this best practice and the best way of living and the future city that Jokowi wants it to be. But yeah, there are many hurdles to overcome until that point. And, you know, the obvious one is too that Jokowi is only president for one more year or so, then you need the political will to keep this going and potentially someone is still needing to be seeking the funds. Exactly. And this is the political hurdle will be the biggest challenge. 2024, that's the end of Jokowi. Uh, It's uh, two periods and that's it. We don't know who's going to be the next president. There are some, of course, candidates. We don't know whether they will continue this path. As we know, each president in the history of Indonesia, they tend to create their own identity that is so different from the previous one. Although we know Jokowi, that's why he issued these laws, yeah, planning laws and all that, to make sure that the new capital city, whoever, regardless, you know, changes of the presidency, they should continue the plan. But of course, that is also a question, right? Are they going to be, you know, 100% putting this energy towards the new capital? Yeah. Or they are trying to kind of like undermine it and then concentrate on the other thing. We never know. You know, it really depends on who the person is and how much energy or, or how much uh, willingness that a person continues is the flow. So the capital city has like two sides of coins. Yeah. One, it can be a future city where it can be, you know, uh, futuristic, smart, sustainable, becomes like a role model for other cities and even other nations, perhaps. But it can also be a place where things will start, you know, with the utopian thoughts, but then it couldn't be implemented fully. So that can also be uh, happening in the capital city. And that's the biggest challenge that Indonesia will face after 2024.
in fact, that's the fear, isn't it? That it mm. becomes a failed city mm. that only is used by a few and is not the thriving urban centre. Finally, I guess, because we don't, we can't look into the crystal ball, but we can be hopeful, right? We can hope that it is that feature city. Yes, <laughs> and one day hopefully. we all get to visit and we all get to do, what is it, the 10 minute the 10 minute connections I can't wait for, you know, currently in Jakarta, it's, you know, an hour and a half minute connection. Depends on the time, Gemma, it can be two or three hours, in fact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, funny in Jakarta, after COVID, uh, it's becoming worse, the traffic. So, you know, it's so unpredictable. And the inevitability that even in a city that is designed for people to move by public transport, individuals still do like to get their own cars and motorbikes exactly. and these kinds of things. And you can't stop that, but you can, yeah, obviously facilitate the other options for them. So maybe when the capital gets to a certain point, Eka, when the first people move in and the money starts flowing, then we can get a little bit of excitement. But until then, there's a bit of trepidation. Am I right? Yes, yeah. definitely. I'm hopeful, but I'm also conscious there are some hurdles in front of us. Big hurdle is the political changes. Second, the money, you know, yeah. those are the two things. Other than that, uh, we also have to think about involving community, changing our behavior, changing our perspective. But those things are the main hurdles of our futuristic capital city which is smart and sustainable fingers crossed fingers crossed <laughs> thank you so much that was associate professor eka Pramanasari. eka is an associate professor in the field of urban design architecture and southeast asian studies at monash indonesia she has extensive experience in research and professionally in the fields of architecture and urban design in indonesia australia and germany her research includes a focus on the politics of urban design, post-colonial studies, and community engagement. She has led several strategic national projects, such as the Jakarta Giant Seawall, Jakarta TOD Urban Renewal Projects, and the development of a community centre in Jakarta. Talking Indonesia will return on the 30th of March. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.